plan by dying on the cross, that the Spirit of God came to convict us, to regenerate us. Lord, thank you that the Spirit of God is sanctifying us. Lord, remind us through this message that it's the Spirit of God that has sealed us. It is the Spirit of God that actually transforms us and makes us holy. Father, help us not to become legalists and thinking that the mechanics of just self-discipline can truly transform us. Forgive us for those times where we thought self-effort was what you wanted when it was really walking in the Spirit. And I ask that you give us wisdom and that as you show us truth that we would conform our lives to it. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. You know, in, in literature, many times you read a story, and it's, there's a character, the antagonist perhaps smolders with hatred. And one of those stories that come to my mind is the hatred of Captain Ahab against, his, as it were, his eternal enemy, Moby Dick. I don't know how many of you have thought about that recently as far as seeing the movie or anything like that. Again, Ahab chases the white whale across the oceans of the world. He doesn't blink to forfeit his ship and every life it carries if only he can heave his harpoon into that terrible eye. I don't know if you saw the one with Gregory Peck back in the 50s. In fact, I just got on YouTube to watch the end of it. And in the very end, he's in the boat... And, uh, you know, trying, and again, he, he hates it because years earlier, uh, the whale had taken one of his limbs. And, you know, it's just hatred. And it, in the movie, you know, again, this is before all the computer stuff, and it's in Technicolor, and, but you can just see the hatred in Ahab's eye towards this whale. And at the very end, you see him taking this long harpoon and just, you know, into the whale and, you know, blood spurts out and blood spurts out and he wanted it to die. In his book, The Enemy Within, Chris Luthengard said this, Moby Dick is a picture of our savage battle. Let the white whale stand for God. So think about this, let the white whale stand for God. But don't be too quick to make Captain Ahab the flesh. Ahab is the whale's enemy. But Paul says that the flesh is more than God's enemy. It is the enmity, the hostility, the pure hatred itself. In fact, Romans 8, 7 says this, the carnal mind is enmity against God. The flesh hates God. So he ends by saying this, if the whale is God and Ahab's hatred is the flesh, then who is Captain Ahab? That's who you were before Christ. Now, I want you to catch that. See, sometimes we think, well, no, no, Ahab would represent the flesh. No, 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 no. That's you. We were the ones that hated God. What does it mean to have enmity to God? Sometimes I think we downplay that word enemy, that we were enemies of God. No, no. We wanted to put the harpoon through all the things of God. His character, his works, his direction, his will. Oh, I never had that type of hatred. 
That's what the Bible says you had. You may not have understood it or felt it, but that was the hatred you had for God. Now again, as we're looking in Galatians chapter 5, I want you to get that because up to this point, what has Paul been talking about? That, that we are justified by faith, not by works of the law, not by something that we can do. Why? Because we had enmity towards God. We couldn't do anything. Our righteousness was as filthy rags. And God saved us and ma- turned us in from, from being slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness, to being children of the devil, to be ch- children of his own to aliven us from deadness to making us alive. Again, from hatred to love. That's all that God did for you. That's, God, well, that's what God does for every person who comes to Him through His Son. He transforms us. And He sets us free. And again, that verse 1 of chapter 5, we keep going back there because this the, chapter 5, verses 1 and 13 sets the entire rest of the book. You have to keep understanding. This is freedom. If you don't get that, you'll miss it you'll start becoming mechanical in your walk with the Lord again. If you're mechanical in your walk with the Lord, you're a legalist. You can come from legalism in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we arrange our legalism with all the do's and don'ts. Sometimes it's just how we look at the Christian life. If you exempt the Holy Spirit from your, from your life, you become a legalist. That's what Paul is saying in verse 16. If you have exempted the Holy Spirit from working and transforming your life, you become a legalist. But look at what, what the Lord did. Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, verse 1, by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't relapse into legalism, into bondage, and somehow thinking you can add to your salvation or your sanctification. Or verse 13 of chapter 5, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, freedom. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Again, the two extremes. One is that I try to uh, work my salvation out in the way of just the law. In other words, doing it on my own strength. The other side says, well, you know, I can live as I please because God has saved me. Opportunity for the flesh. And really, the truth, as we've said, is, not, is neither legalism nor license. It's the gospel. It's the fact that we are free in Christ. And that's how we need to grow as free ones in Christ. So real freedom comes when Christ frees me from sin, not to sin. In other words, he's freed me from sin, and yet we still have this king, or not king, Captain Ahab's hatred. By the way, understand, if the will is God, and Ahab is us, that's us before salvation. That's not us now. But the hatred is still there in a re- in resident in our flesh. That's why you need a new body someday. It's still there. The sin force is still at work in you. By the way, over the years, many Christians have tried to reject that. Oh, no, you can eradicate the sin nature. Oh, no, you can go towards perfectionism. That was a form of Wesleyanism 100 years ago. But if you believe that, then you'll be defeated. What you'll end up doing is probably going towards a legalistic form of all the do's and don'ts of seeking to see if I'm truly righteous. And I believe Paul gets to this point in the letter. This is what it's done for me in my own personal life. I'm saying in my own personal life right now, 2011. It's just, it's almost like hands have been put on my shoulders. John, you need to run the race. John, you need to wrestle. John, you need, but John, just understand, you've got to walk in the Spirit. Breathe easy. I'm in control. You're not. Walk in the Spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
In other words, Christ has set us free. But that freedom is self-control. No question about it. If you're free in Christ, you should have self-control. You should become becoming more selfless and wanting to serve others and loving one another and serve one another out of love. There should be a greater love in your heart for God and wanting to worship Him. I mean, that, those are signs of freedom in a person's heart, that, that our heart moves towards God and others. And we don't do like verse 15 says, bite and devour and consume one another. By the way, that's a real picture of one animal eating another animal. <laughs> bite. All right, now you got them down. Start to eat and you consume them all. I mean, what he's, that's a real graphic picture. And yet he said sometimes that's what we do in the church. It just shows that we're really not walking in the Spirit. It really shows that we're depending on, on either li- going towards license or legalism. In other words, when th- if you're not walking in the Spirit, by, uh, by the Spirit, in the Spirit, according to the Gospel, if you're depending on either one of those other things, there's going to be factions and divisions and confrontation in the church. And we're going to be just like verse 15 says. We'll bite and devour, bite, eat, devour, piece by piece, consume total one another. Again, we don't want to do that. True liberty is living as we should, not as we please. And Paul says, don't live as you please, live as you should. He sets you free, but he sets you free to be your true self, to truly serve others, to love God, to honor God, to worship God. There's great freedom in true liberty. Unfortunately, so much of what we call liberty actually just brings us right back into bondage. Or you have the freedom lovers that say, well, but you know, God doesn't care what I do. No, no, no. Again, those are, those are both wrong. They're not even extremes. They're wrong. The truth is the gospel, the gospel is Jesus Christ saved us and he has set us free to serve God and serve one another. And so Paul gets to this point, and I, I believe this is one of the most important passages on sanctification. Because he said, listen, I say to you, and he's real direct, I say, listen, this is what you need to do. You know, we've been talking about this legalism license thing. This is what you need to do. Christian, today, in Alfred Allman, right today, this is what you need to do. Walk in the Spirit. That's what God wants. Walk in the Spirit. Notice that this is a command about the Holy Spirit. You know, let me just tell you a couple things about the Holy Spirit. Again, the third person in the Trinity, God Himself. God Himself. And in John 3.6, it says... Jesus said to them, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he uses that phrase twice in that passage. Born of the Spirit. What is he saying? It's the Spirit of God that actually regenerated you. Why is that so important? Because Paul is going to be talking about walking with the Spirit. But before he even does that, and we looked at this before in other parts of Galatian, he talks about the fact that you were born again through God. Okay, in other words, I didn't I didn't crawl my way to God. God saved me, and it's the Spirit of God that saved me. Born of the Spirit, and you remember back in John 14, just before Jesus leaves, He said this: "I'll pray the Father, and He'll give you another Comforter." And the word "another" means another of the same type, just like me, the Holy Spirit. So we find a couple things about the Holy Spirit. He saved you in the sense of bringing you to Christ. He regenerated you, but not only that, He's just like Christ, the other. The helper. In fact, let me go on. He says, another helper, that he may abide with you forever, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So we find the Holy Spirit regenerated us, 
The Holy Spirit is with us. He's the helper. He's the comforter. He's the one that's, he, he walks right beside us, as it were. He, he indwells us, and he'll indwell us forever. He, he doesn't like come and go. Like the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God came. And, no, he, he, he's, uh, he, he's with us. Why, is that, why are those truths so important? Because when Paul says in the continuous form, walk in the Spirit, he says you can because he's always with you. He is always with me. You say, why are you so excited about this? Because, you know, I forgot this for a while. It is so easy to become legalistic. You know, you start getting your lists. You start getting your disciplines. And those are important. I'm not saying, I'm not going to say no to, like, you know, consistent Bible reading, no to prayer and fasting. and things like that. But what I'm saying is this. If you think you're going to be holy by those things, you are a legalist. It is the Spirit of God that transforms you. Okay? And it's the Spirit of God who made you alive, placed you into the body of Christ, He's the one that, what? He's the sanctifier. Well, he, now here, he's, he's the one who indwells you. And then not only that, he's the sanctifier. Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Well, how? Into the image of, from the glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So he's saying, listen, it's the Spirit of God who regenerated you it's the spirit of god who is in you it is the spirit of god who is transforming you interestingly it's in the passive in other words allow yourself to be transformed by the spirit of god so again we do not transform ourselves rather that rather the holy spirit uses what i believe very clearly is the word of god to transform us so again do you need the word of god yes do you need to have prayer yes but if i depend on those the mechanics do you need accountability with other Christians? Yes. But if you depend on becoming more holy through accountability to other Christians and you, and you, and you, and you uh, forgo walking in the Spirit, you've become a legalist. And it won't work long term. Do you see what I'm saying? Accountability is a big thing in our day and age. Oh, everyone, men need to be accountable for holiness. You know, that they're walking with God. And no, that's a good thing. I'm not saying accountability is wrong. But if you depend on accountability and you don't walk in the Spirit, it becomes legalism. It's a mechanics. It's a Phariseeism. No, he says walk in the Spirit. Let me tell you what walking means. Well, just think about walking. Have you ever walked with a friend? Do you like walking? Actually, I, one of the things Phil and I uh, like to do now that once spring starts coming, you know, is like walking around Alfred University because it's like a, I don't know, a couple-mile loop. But think about Walking. It, you think of it as being like you're walking with someone else. By the way, if I'm three feet ahead of her, I'm not walking with her. Sometimes she'll tell me, will you slow down? Like, I enjoy the walk. You know, will you just slow down? No, I've got a, a mission. No, 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 just slow down. Okay. When he uses the word walk, the idea is with. The other idea is progressive. Think about, prog- you know, you start and you go from point A to point B. In other words, going from where one is to where one should be or wants to be. The word is peripateo, which is only interesting because Aristotle had a school which was known as the peripatetic school. Why? Because the teacher walked with the kids literally. That's why they called it that. In other words, Aristotle would walk with his students, teaching them on the way. Actually, that's how Jesus did That's how all the great teachers back then did it. He didn't have like classroom and all that other stuff. 
you know, just, hey, you watch me. You watch me in normal life. You just, normal life, you walk with me, and I'll teach you the things that you need to know. That's what the teacher would be saying. Now, you could play that out with the Holy Spirit. Okay, as you just go through your life, don't look at Christian growth as an event. Look at it as in a process. Look at the, look, you need to look at Christian growth as a process. Sometimes we think of it as an event. There are events that happen. What, what do you mean? Well, the event of Bible study. Okay, I have time in the Word. I have a time of prayer. That's an event. I have a time that I might witness or I might reach out to a friend. That's an event. But what we're talking about here is a process. It's a process. It's saying the Holy Spirit wants to walk, work, walk through you 24-7, right? That's the whole point of this word walk. Walk in the Spirit. Not an event. It's a process. Walk in the Spirit. Again, there's three different parts to this verb that you need to know. First of all, it's an imperative. In other words, I must walk. This is not an option. This is not like, you know, a suggestion. Oh, I really like to have you walk. No, no. It's a command. Walk in the Spirit. Paul says you have to walk in the Spirit. By the way, uh, another verse that is very similar, we'll see in a moment, is the word, uh, is, is the idea, the concept in Ephesians 5.18 where it says, be filled with the Spirit. Okay? In fact, if you, if you put these together, some of them in the passive, some in the active form, but the idea is this. Uh, walk in the Spirit. Ephesians, be filled by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18, be transformed by the Spirit. And then Colossians 3.16 says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You put all those things together and you start understanding what the Spirit of God wants you to do. Okay? He wants you to be filled with the Word of God and to walk with Him be in control, which is the word filled, Ephesians. So I'm supposed to be walking with the Spirit, letting Him control through the Word of God, and through all that, you, I'll be transformed. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to put the concepts together because we see a lot in the, whole, in the Scriptures about the Holy Spirit. But if you put them together, I'm supposed to walk. That's Galatians 5. And Colossians 3 is a synonymous passage where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in your ritual, which is the word of God. So I need to have the word of God. That's like an ingredient to my faith. The, the, the spirit of God uses the word of God. Okay, that makes sense. And then Ephesians says, be filled, which means controlled. Okay, so the spirit of God that's walking with me is going to use the word of God, and that's how he controls me. And if that happens, Corinthians says he will transform. So it's not just the fact that I have the word of God that I know the Word of God, it's that the Spirit of God is using the Word of God. So I must walk. Number two, I must continuously walk. That's in the, it's in the present tense, which means continuous. That's why I do not like, and, and I understand why he wrote it, but there's this little uh, track out there called Seven Minutes with God. You ever heard of it? You, you never seen that little track, Seven Minutes with God? We, we actually used it a few years ago. You know, you know I don't like that? God doesn't want seven minutes of your life. God wants you. You were bought with a price. Do you see how that's kind of like, well, you know, God is happy if I just have a little bit of time in the morning. Well, yeah, it is good to have a little time in the morning. And I understand you're not going to be in Bible study for 16 hours a day. 
But we need to get it out of our mind that somehow he just wants us, you know, I've pacified God, now I've got to go on with the rest of my life. No, no, God wants to be with you when you eat breakfast. God wants it when you're on the road and that person in front of you just cut in with his car. God wants to be with you at work when you have that very difficult situation. God wants to be home with you and when you're watching something late at night. He wants to be, he wants to walk with you. Again, I must continuously walk. The believer has no use for the law Again, as a means of salvation, because Christ, because through Christ he has already been saved and adopted into God's family as a son. So again, we understand the whole thing about rules and regulations. Let me read something else, though. Although Bible study, prayer, worship, and witnessing, and certain behavior standards are commanded of believers and are essential to faithful Christian living, spirituality, now catch this, cannot be measured by how often or how intensely we are involved in such things. That is very profound to me. You cannot measure your spirituality according to how much Bible study and prayer and fasting and meditation you did. You may be very carnal and still doing those things. To use them as a measure of spirituality is to become entrapped in legalism, whose only significance is in the outward, the visible, the humanly measurable. To live solely by a set of laws is to live by the flesh. I want to repeat that. To live solely by a set of laws is to live by the flesh in self-righteousness and hypocrisy and, catch this, to suppress the spirit. Does that make sense to you? Can you see how we can fall into legalism very quickly? Oh, I see what you mean, Pastor. We are to uh, do all these things. That's how we grow in Christ. I like to think of all these things that we're talking about. All the disciplines is like the ingredients, but it doesn't produce the, uh, the end result. Like when you're growing grapes, what do you have to do? Well, you have to trim, you have to uh, tie, you know, you have to get them up in the sun, you have to put fertilizer on and some potash, you know, and if it fertilizer, I mean nitrate. <clears throat> you have to disc. By the way, there's some things you can do. You can't send the rain and you can't send the sun. But when it's all said and done, all you've done is created an environment for it to grow. If it's going to grow, it's what? It's through God's ability, not yours. You see what I'm saying? It's through God's ability. Because the rain has to come, the sun has to come, the right temperature has to be there. Everything, that's really God. At the end of the year, we should just be thanking God that the crop came in. Why? Because God sent the necessary things. Now, when it comes to us, the same thing. There are some ingredients for a successful life, Christian life, in the sense of a victorious. Yes, you do need Bible study. Yes, you do need prayer. Yes, you do need meditation. Yes, you do need memorization. You need those things. But if somehow we get mechanical and think, okay, and those things will produce growth. You see how I just jumped? It went from uh, ingredients into end result. That's where you become a leader. No, no. Those things are ingredients. To get from here to there spirituality, maturity, what is it? Walk in the Spirit. If, if, we, if we do not walk in the Spirit, you may make some progress, but it will be through legalistic means and it will not have eternal results. Again, to live solely by the set of laws is to live by the flesh in self-righteousness and hypocrisy and to suppress the Spirit who alone is able inwardly to produce works of true righteousness. Let me close. Holiness comes only from the Holy Spirit. 
Holy living does not come from our performance for God, but His performance through us by His Spirit. Holiness comes only from the Holy Spirit. I know that might sound real simple to you. No, no, that's right. Holiness only comes through the Holy Spirit. Have you ever set out to really live for God and you set in a bunch of things in your life and you said, I'm going to really live for God. And you know what sometimes happens? You have just become a legalist. You say, but I had such passion. Well, you're a passionate legalist. You can be called a Pharisee. I'm not saying not to... By the way, if you ever walk away and say, oh, he just said you didn't have to read the Word of God. No, you missed the entire... You need the Word of God. That's, that's what brought you to life that the Spirit of God used. But again, it's, not that, it's the Spirit of God that produces the result. So again, all a believer absolutely needs to live a holy life is the Holy Spirit. Now, pride or arrogance would say... Give me the outward list of rules and commands and the power that they produce. That's what pride and arrogance, pride or arrogance would produce. Pride or arrogance would say, I don't... By the way, we would never say that as a Christian. <laughs> you know, I don't need the Holy Spirit, I just need... But, but if you start walking down the path of really not depending on the Spirit of God in your life, you're then saying, well, the power is just going to be in those other things, those disciplines. So, I must walk. It's a command. I must continuously walk. It's a present tense. Third, I must do it. I must do it. I must submit. I must walk. Or as one man said, while the Spirit is the source of all holy living, it is the believer who is commanded to walk. That is really interesting. I am told to walk. I am told to be part of the process. And again, as I said before, um, like when it says walk, that's in the active. When it says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that's in the active. When it says be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, that's in the passive. That's in the passive. Let yourself be controlled by the Spirit of God. When it says that you will be transformed, that's in the passive. Let yourself be transformed. So, so this active, passive voice is very important. I, I am the one called to walk. I am, the call, I am also called to fill, be filled with the... the um, not filled. To let the Word of Christ dwell on me richly. I am called to do those things. But then I'm also called to allow the Spirit to control me, to fill me, and to transform me. I hope I'm not throwing out so much as like, whoa! I'll say it in a simple sense. Uh, Jerry Bridges wrote a great book called Disciplines of Grace. In there he says this, that the Christian life, and this is a very difficult concept because there's a tendency in Christianity to go one extreme or the other, is, can be looked upon like an airplane. Okay, now think about an airplane. You need, what if, the, what if you're on uh, AirTran going down to Florida and all of a sudden the, 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 uh, the pilot said, uh, oh, and by the way, uh, the left wing is about ready to fall off, but, you know, everybody just remain in your seat. Everything will be fine. You'd say, what are you, what are you on? Okay. Why? Because the airplane needs two wings. And Jerry Bridges says that's how it is in the Christian life. And the tendency is to, to depend on one or the other. We need dependent, that's the first wing, 
discipline. He calls it dependent discipline. You're dependent on the Spirit of God to produce the effect, to produce the fruit. You're dependent on the Spirit. But there's disciplines that you do to provide the ingredients for the Holy Spirit to pull it off. Okay? By the way, some will say, well, yeah, I agree. It's got to be dependent. And that's why I say, let go and let God. I, that's why I am for the surrendered life. A lot of the deeper theologies of the, uh, 100 years ago, they call it deeper theology because the idea was this. We finally got the key. And the key is just let go and let God. Just be surrendered to Him. Just let God do it. Just, and, and the idea was be passive. By the way, you can't fly an airplane like this. Now, other people who fall on the legalistic side, oh, well, yeah, God's there, but I've got to do it all. A lot of energy. Come on, Paul. Didn't Paul say run the race, wrestle? Didn't he say, you know, that it's all part of discipline, discipline yourself to godliness? Well, yeah, those are all true. But to, an airplane needs both thing, both wings. You need dependent discipline, and the key is both, <laughs> Okay. The key is knowing what you're supposed to do and what the Spirit of God, or what you're supposed to do and the Spirit of God is supposed to do. This is no easy thing. I have worked through this in my Christian life, and I'm telling you, I go back and forth. I go back and forth. Oh, okay, this... And, and it's, it's just become... And I'm so glad I've been in Galatians very slowly. I've been going through it because it's like it's starting to really sink in. Again, there is no doubt that a discipline... Now, I'm talking about discipline. A discipline... Disciplined people, both believers and unbelievers, can affect change in themselves. By the way, you can get a lot of different books for unbelievers, and they can affect self-discipline change for themselves. But those disciplines are not the source of our spiritual strength. That's all I'm trying to say. They're not the source. They're ingredients, but it's the Spirit of God that is the source. The Spirit of God is the power that will transform our life. At times I've studied the Word of God and memorized the Word of God and meditated on the Word of God and it's had very little effect in my life. Why? Is it that the... Oh, I guess the, spirit, I guess the Word of God is just not that powerful after all. No! It's because I didn't trust it to actually transform me through the power of the Spirit of God. See, that's why Jesus said, For without me... Me... You can do nothing. I'm, I'm using this as the airplane. Without me, dependent on me, you, the disciplines that you have, can, you can do nothing. Or in Philippians 2 where it says, For it is God who works in you. Do you see how those work together? Those are huge. Both willing to do of his good pleasure. Or like Psalms 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. What do you mean? Well, yeah, the, the builders are over here laboring, you know, self-control and self-discipline. But unless the Lord builds the house. So, it's a command. It's continuous, and it's something I have to do. Wayne Mack, in his book, A Fight to the Death. I thought that was a great, great um, title for a book. A Fight to the Death. He's talking about sin in your life. He says this. This is what walking in the Spirit involves. 
It involves relying completely on the Spirit for every aspect of the Christian life. Did I put this in the little outline in your thing? Yeah, I want you to think about these later. I'm just going to rush through them. In other words, trust the Spirit to do what He has said He will do. Trust the Spirit. Rely on the Spirit. That's what faith is all about. Walk by faith. Number two, if walking in the Spirit means living in the consciousness of His personal presence in us and with us. In other words, walking thought by thought with Him. The Spirit of God has a power. The Spirit of God is right here. I am focused. I'm conscious of the Spirit of God. It involves memorizing, meditation, believing, living God's Word. Because the Bible is the Spirit's book. Okay, so in other words, you don't eliminate that discipline. You just say, I'm totally dependent on Him through this process. It means that you will think much about Jesus because the Holy Spirit has come to glorify Him. Jesus said in John 16 of the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me. So if whatever's going on in my life is not becoming more like Christ, you know it's not the Spirit of God. By the way, Jesus was completely submitted to, completely walking in the Spirit. I mean, it just drives us to that concept of having constant communion, fellowship with the Spirit of God. And then finally, walking in the Spirit means that you will be willing to do what the Spirit tells you. In other words, you will be willing to obey. That's what walking in the Spirit. As I walk along with the Spirit of God, by the way, the Spirit is definitely the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God, you're going to do and do what He says. You're going to say what He wants you to say. That's what, in other words, there's this process of, Lord, I know that you're walking right with me. You get, you've, you've shown me through your word things that you want me to do, but I can't do them on my own. I'm powerless. And Lord, you're going to have, you know, and He will give you the power But by the way, just because he gives you the power doesn't mean... He's not going to do it for you. You fall real fast into passivism again. Uh, Actually, Jerry Bridges talked about this on loving a person. He says this, Some years ago when I was following this more passive approach of the Christian walk, which did indeed seem more spiritual to me at the time, you know, the surrendered life, that sounds real spiritual. I was struggling to love a Christian brother. One evening, God dealt, really dealt with me about my lack of love, and I sensed God was saying to me through a, a thought planted in my mind, if I love him, can you? I responded, Lord, I can't, but I'm willing for you to love him through me. Now, that sounds real spiritual, and it's true. But then, this is what he says, what happened? Over time, my attitude towards this brother did change. In fact, he became good friends. Did Jesus then love him through me? No. He enabled me to love the man. Do you see the difference there? Well, if you really want me to stay with her, just give me the love. No, Jesus said, love your wife. I'll give you the power to do it, but you're the one that has to do it. We are not passive in the pursuit of holiness. We are the ones who love. We are the ones who are clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility. But we do this in utter dependence on Him who gives us the strength, that that side of the the wing. Dependence on Him. Sure, you're totally surrendered to Him. Nobody's going to question that. But somehow we think, well, we're surrendered to Him, therefore, I don't have to do anything. Now, that thought is very, very dangerous in the Christian walk if you don't see that you are dependent disciplined on him. And the reason is, is the next verse, and I know I'm running out of time. 
But look at the next verse. Verse 16 says, Walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. War. And the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you will. You know, the things that you wish. The things, the directions. And next week we're going to look at Romans 7. I've always wanted to go to Romans 7 where Paul, you know, at the very end says, Oh, wretched man that I am. And you say to yourself, how could the great apostle, after being saved for 30 plus years, walking with God all those years, call himself a wretched man? Because he understood that in his flesh, there was this thing, there was this hatred like Captain Ahab had towards the whale. I mean, it's really graphic for just being such an old movie. Then you, you know, finally see at the very end, you know, Ahab's like this and he's dead, you know. Yeah, whatever. Did I say King Ahab? Captain Ahab? I always want to call him King Ahab. Um, the point is this. I just want you to get the, the hatred. This war is within you. This war is within you. It's called the flesh. That's why Paul said in verse 13, a few verses earlier, don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. An opportunity is the word beachhead. Don't give the flesh a beachhead in your life. Because though your heart has been changed, that hatred that you saw that I'm trying to express to you of the harpoon going through the representation of God... That hatred is still in your life. And some Christians, I don't think, understand the full force, the sin force that is within their life. And so they walk through life, and you think about some of their sins that they do, a lack of love, wrath, anger, discontent, covetousness, rebellion, impatience, gossip, critical spirit, lying, evil thoughts, laziness. Now think about all these things. And the flesh, every time you go down that path, it's like, just starts stoking. Yeah, yeah. Worry, fear, hypocrisy, cheating, procrastination, gluttony, lust, fornication, pornography. Yeah. And then you walk away saying, man, I cannot believe it. I thought, I mean, I've been reading the Bible, I've been praying, and I was even thinking about, you know, Maybe fasting, I'm, you know, going to church more faithfully now than I've been before. Where did this come from? It's the flesh. That, that's what Paul's saying. It's the flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. It wars. It hates everything that the Spirit stands for. And a true believer must resist this pull. And you say, well, how bad is it? Is How bad really is it? Let me close down a couple thoughts. It's, a, it's an impossible peace. You'll never have peace with the flesh. The only thing that's going to happen, you know what you do with the flesh? Finally, Christ just destroys it. But if you don't recognize it, if you really don't see it as bad as it really is, it will trip you up continually. I was reading a story about a Japanese officer. He, he was enlisted back in 19, I think, 44. And... His name was Hiro Onaoda. Onoda. Anyways, bottom line was this. He went, just before the war, he was working in China. He got called into the Imperial Army. He was put in as um, uh, Imperial Army intelligence officer. He was trained in guerrilla warfare. That's the important point. 
got through his training in 1944, went to an island near the Philippines, dropped off. Basically, his order said this, you are not allowed to kill yourself. At all costs, keep, you know, keep harassing the enemy. That's basically what it was. And in three or five years, we'll come back for you. So that's all he knew. Okay, I'm here. He was with a group of uh, Japanese. Obviously, in 1944-45 comes, the war ends. This guy didn't accept the flag, the fact that it ends. He had a group of men. A lot of them got killed and taken away. But finally, he ended up with four men. And they lived till uh, two of them killed in 1950. The other one died, I think, 1972. And this guy lasted till 1975. And this is the thing. This was the funny thing. Like, planes would go over, B-17s would go over, drop leaflets, say that, you know, because, see, what would happen is this guy would periodically come down into the village, shoot a cow... Get it? Coming up. Run down in the village, shoot a couple people. You know, and the people are like, this is ridiculous. This guy, you know, these people are like constantly harassing us. Guerrilla warfare. Constant conflict. Well, anyways, finally, so they're dropping pamphlets. I mean, at first in one little area, then over the entire, you know, jungle. Basically, listen, the war is done. <laughs> and... They even had one signed by the official imperial captain or uh, the general or whatever the Japanese called the general. But anyways, they always, you know, these men, the four, and then it became two, kept saying, this is just a trick. They're just trying to bring us out so they can capture us. Well, finally, his, his, his second, the second person died, the last person, and he was the only one left and finally was convinced that indeed the war had ended. And it says on... March 10th, 1975, at the age of 52, Onanada, in full uniform, that was somehow still immaculately kept, marched out of the jungle and surrendered his samurai sword to the Philippine president, Marcos. 29 years later. Now, what was so interesting about the whole story to me was, that is exactly like the flesh does. See, Jesus destroyed the power of Satan and sin and even the ultimate power of the flesh. But in this body, we still have this menacing enemy that constantly is trying to harass us, and it's called the flesh. And it's in constant war, and sometimes I think we try to make peace with it. Give it enough, and it will just settle down. It won't bother me quite so much. And the real, I, this is the, the, the truth I want you to see. The flesh lusts against the spirit, against. That's the word. And the spirit against the flesh. These are mortal enemies, and the only way you deal with them, or one, is that finally Jesus will destroy the flesh in your life and give you a new body. Don't try to placate it. Every drop of poison is poison. Every spark of a fire is fire. And the last bit of flesh that remains in the believer is still hatred towards God. When God's grace changes our nature, it doesn't change the nature of the flesh. Let me say that again. When God's grace changes our nature, it doesn't change the nature of the flesh. It conquers it, weakens it, mortally wounds it so that we are not no longer Captain Ahab's by nature, yet it's defiant malice smolders in our flesh. And you see it like this. Oh, I can read the Word of God. But as soon as I really start worshiping Him and communing with Him, that's where the flesh will... 
I can sing to God as long as my mind is wandering. But I'll tell you what, if you really start focusing in and having communion with God through worship, you expect something to happen in your mind, and whether it's wandering or something else comes in. In other words, what I'm saying is the flesh is like that Japanese. He wants to come in, <laughs> come out, and he will try to constantly harass in so many different areas, your life. In other words, the hatred. Sometimes we think of the flesh as our enemy. But it only hates us because God is in us. Do you you get the point? Sometimes we think that the flesh is our enemy. It's It's not about us. It's that, remember when I said the Holy Spirit came and resided in us? Now... The Spirit is here. And you know what the Spirit is doing? Pushing. That's called sanctification. Trying to squelch the flesh. Do you think the flesh just like rolls over and says, oh, well, okay, I understand the end result, you know. Pushes. Pushes. And this is the conflict. By the way, non-believers don't have that conflict. Do you understand that you're the only conflicted ones? (laughs) You've got this battle going in you. Righteousness, unrighteousness, love, hate, God, Satan, and as far as, you know, un... No, the conflict is with Christians, and it's this constant, because the Spirit of God is moving us, and the, and the, and the flesh says, ah, and he'll do a guerrilla, guerrilla warfare. Recognize the guerrilla warfare. The greatest thing is, it's not going to last forever. Someday, and it's no wonder that, G, uh, that Paul says, you know, I want to depart and be with him. Why? Because then I don't have to deal with this flesh any longer. I want to depart. You want to depart? Yeah, the Lord's going to keep you here perhaps a little bit longer. But you can do this. Let's stand as we worship Him. I hope with a whole heart. And I hope that even if the flesh starts to say, you don't really want to worship with your whole heart, that you will worship Him with your whole heart. Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Which means let the Word of Christ, the Bible, have its, its home, I mean, in you. Free reign in your life. So how does that play out? Lord, I need to get into your word. By the way, if you get into his word to learn a tidbit, a fact, so that you can win an argument, probably the flesh will have no problem with that. That's, that's a lot of pride. But if you get into the word of God in the morning and you, you, know, you want to worship him, you want to honor him, you want to obey him, and that's why you're searching the word to get closer to him, maybe you should sleep a little bit longer. Because you know what? If, if you're grumpy during the day, what type of testimony will that be? Uh, you, aren't you really tired? I, I don't know why. You don't, don't be legalistic. You don't have to be in the Word every day. The flesh hates God. Do you need the book? Absolutely. But you need Him working through the book. Look at your life this week. Seek to honor Him. Seek to glorify Him. And see if you can see when your flesh raises up against that. It's not about you. It's about His hate. It's its hatred towards Him. And so many times we don't do what we ought because it, 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 the flesh, persuades us not to do battle. But make sure you're in the strength of the Lord. Father, again, we thank You that the Spirit of God is in us forever. We thank you 
that we can walk with him. And I pray that we would take responsibility for our part, knowing really that the power is all of you. Lord, we want to be transformed. But we don't want it to be superficial. And Lord, I pray you guide us in our walk with you. Give us wisdom and help us to change according to your truth. In Christ's name, amen.